0: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at Pastor
1: Scott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Going to be with you today as it is each and every day. From three to five, right here in the Pastor Scott Show. The number is eight 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 five two eight two five five seven. We take the issues of the day and look at them from a Christian perspective. And uh, you know, one of the things that we read about in the scriptures and that Jesus warns us about, time after time after time, is about being deceived it's not always the answer you want to hear. Jesus, you know, when are we going to know about the uh, end times? Don't be deceived. That's what he says, right? And the thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. That's why you're deceived, right? That's the nature of being deceived. And one of the issues that has been an issue with Christianity uh, along or within Christianity is the idea of false teachers who are among us in who don't understand who Jesus is or don't understand what salvation is and then teaches something completely different or sometimes they do understand what historical or biblical Christianity is and then it's distorted because it doesn't fit a political narrative or a social narrative of the time. And this is something that we really have to watch out for if we're gonna be effective in disciple making and in following the Lord. With me to talk about this is Jason Jimenez. Uh, Jason is the founder and president of Stand Strong Ministries. He's the best-selling author and national speaker specializing in the biblical worldview of training, family ministry, and church leadership. And he's got a brand new book coming out September 12th. It's called Hijacking Jesus. And uh, you can get that just about anywhere coming up uh, on the 12th. Jason, thanks for joining us on the Pastor Scott Show.
0: Appreciate it, Scott. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, Jason, uh, uh, tell us about yourself and uh, a little bit about your background, and how did you end up getting to a point where you became passionate about this subject of really understanding who Jesus really is and why we have to get that straight?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when I look back, I, I came from a loving family. I lost my mom when I was 15, unfortunately, and it was in that tragedy, Scott, that I went deeper into the faith hmm. and I wanted to explore you know issues about suffering. And again, if God is real and suffering obviously coexists alongside of him, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, And I, at that point, I didn't really have a grounded faith. I didn't have a real understanding. And so I actually started to dive into philosophy, which then led me to get a degree in philosophy. I went to the University of Arizona, and then I heard of a guy which I'm sure many of your people listening. Have heard of dr norman geisler and it was it was a few years into my marriage with two small kids we were at a, a great calvary chapel church serving and ministering to family doing apologetics there but i wanted to go deeper and so we packed up our bags we said goodbye to our family on both sides my mom's my wife's side my, my mom um my side my my mom's side and uh, we brought our two kids to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I enrolled in seminary to learn from Dr. Norman Geyser back in 2006. And then I was a pastor at a mega church here in Charlotte, ministering to students and parents. And it was there that I really got a deeper understanding, Scott, about how biblically illiterate. A lot of families are, yeah. and I don't say I don't say that to 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 belittle them or put them down. I would just I'm stating a fact. When yeah. you would ask them what they believe and why they believe it, the vast majority of them couldn't really articulate um, what the Christian faith was all about, what salvation really is. In some cases, a lot of them were not even saved. So that's when I began to take a deep dive. And then in 2012, we felt the calling, in support of many apologists like Sean McDowell and his father and Dr. Norman Geiser and a few others um, for us to launch Stand Strong Ministries. And they really helped me um, do that, where we now, for the last 10 plus years, we equip churches and families uh, with biblical worldview training. And so that's why my latest book, Hijacking Jesus, is an attempt to help biblical Christians defend what they believe while making a convincing case not to fall prey to progressive Christianity.
1: You know, we have – you're right about those those numbers about Christians, or people call themselves Christians who go to church. Many of them are Christians, but sometimes they're not, right? And, and I think sometimes we don't know. Something that happened during the COVID, right, is a lot of people dropped out of church, but they were probably dropping out anyway. They just had time to think about it and then realized, I don't really believe this. But a lot of us, we have an idea of Christianity that's informed by something else. And how did we get here? How did we get to a place where we are, as a, as a community of Christians, so often unable to discern what Christianity is and isn't?
0: That's a great question. You know what I did in the beginning of the book as I touched on this, Scott, to your very point, And the way I do a comparison with this term hijacking, again, I'm not giving a parallel between progressive Christians as terrorists. What I'm saying yeah. is that when we have pure orthodoxy that is enhoused and coveted within the infallible word of God and is to be uh, taught and penetrated to the lives of people in the church that profess to know Christ as Lord and Savior. But just like when you go back to the times of 9-11 or prior to, you see that there was laxity when it came to security. We weren't taking things as serious, right, because there was no need to. Mm -hmm. And plus, out of convenience for people to get to point A to point B, we didn't want to have a lot of restrictions. I do think that that is a parallel in the sense of how in Christianity today, particularly I'm talking about historic Christian faith or biblical Christianity, people who take the Bible literally, who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second person, of the Trinity, and died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and that he's going to return. We believe in these doctrines, Scott, but a lot of us became very lazy about defending it and preserving it. And over time, when there's been a lack of security in theology and a lack of security within our Bible-believing churches, over time, you've had these people known as Gnostics or progressive Christians or liberals or woke people who say, well, no, I'm, I'm a Christian, but in a new light more of a modernized, right? Mm-hmm. Or I take the scripture metaphorically, but I'm a very spiritual person. And let me show you how Jesus liberated my life. It sounds pretty. It sounds nice. But when, when you don't have people with the proper theological security to protect and to preserve Orthodox Christianity, over time, this is what has happened, is more and more people, when they're not grounded in God's word and not being discipled in God's word and knowing what their spiritual gifts are, they will, over time, start with itching ears, start pursuing other doctrines that run contrary to what we believe as Christians, according to the Scriptures.
1: When you uh, you're listen to the Pastor Scott Show, my guest is Jason Jimenez, author of Hijacking Jesus. Uh, Jason, when you think of of these things, first of all, why don't you describe for us what, when you say progressive Christianity uh, what do you mean by that? It, it's a little unnerving always when we have some kind of adjective in front of Christianity, I think, right? Uh, yeah. You and, know, what? Yeah. what is this that specifically that you're talking about?
0: Yeah. Okay. So for I appreciate you asking me that because for clarification, uh, a progressive Christian, again, as Dr. Peter Eanes, who is a liberal progressive scholar who used to be conservative – and he would
1: call himself a progressive scholar. Yeah, he right? he pretty much is. Yeah, yeah,
0: he definitely is. And um you know, he would says, you know, we don't want to look at progressive as this pejorative term like it's a bad thing. He looks at it as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. Like again, over time what progressive Christians have come to uh find out about Jesus. This is what they call as contemporary scholarship. They believe that their appraisal process has actually efficiently drawn out the true jesus and what they say is we scott you and me and many of your listeners we are the original hijackers of jesus right meaning jesus from day one never claimed to be god from day one he never said he came to atone for our sins and so jesus is not the savior of the world jesus is more of a liberator so progressive christian is influenced by catch this liberal protestants agnostics, skeptics, atheists, and Christian mystics. Mm. So when you're talking to a particular uh, progressive Christian, it will depend on their take on some issues of Jesus. He might be an insurrectionist. uh, He might be a woke, inclusive teacher. He might be a Jewish mystic. but, But the point is, no matter what portrayal of Jesus, a progressive Christian has, Um, They don't believe that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Matter of fact, they deny Trinitarian doctrine. They deny the infallibility of Scripture. And so at the heart of progressive Christianity, what I do in part two of the book is I expose six key doctrines that is at the heart of a biblical Christian who holds fast to the word of God. And number one is the divinity of Jesus. Progressive Christianity denies the divinity of Jesus, as I said. Number two, they deny his virgin birth. They don't believe that that occurred. They think that's folklore or they copied from paganistic rituals Mm -hmm. and religions. Three, they deny the miracles of Jesus. They believe that miracles are a violation of the laws of physics based on Bertrand Russell and David Hume and, and, and the likes and Benedict Spinoza. They also deny the atonement. Matter of fact, the atonement of Jesus is one of the most despicable doctrines progressive Christians teach in Christianity. They think it's horrific. Right? Jesus was not, the, he was not um, the sacrifice for our sins. Most progressive Christians would say he was sacrificial in laying down his life because what he was attempting to do was he was trying to rid the world of oppression and violence. And so he was, it was like a peace treaty, a peace offering if you will. So they deny the atonement of Jesus because most of them, Scott, deny the original sin of Adam and Eve. Not only that, but they also deny a physical, literal resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, the sixth doctrine that progressive Christians, most of them deny, is a literal, physical return of Jesus to earth. So at the heart, that's what Progressive Christianity is
1: there's been a uh, I think a long history of this developing over time and, uh, and different things and you know I think one of the things that happened when I was younger, a lot younger, there was a, a big move in Christian churches that doctrine doesn't matter that much. you know that we really need to help people have better marriages and be better parents and do those things. It was fine, you know you you need to do that, but it those things replaced the doctrinal teaching and understanding of why. We're Christians, and I think Christians have a hard time today discerning when they hear, "Well, Christians didn't always believe that Jesus was God." You know, there's there's not a good response to say, "No, you're wrong about that," and they're completely wrong about that, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they are. It's funny you mention that, Scott, because that's the conversations I've had with a lot of people. Is they'd say, "Well, what's the big uh, what's the big deal? Why is like, this matter?" I mean, yeah. Why does this matter? Or, or or how do you know? How do you know this, that Jesus wasn't just a liberator or that he wasn't just a Jewish mystic? How, how do you know? He never claimed to be God, right? We've all heard from Bart Ehrman and, and scholars like like him who have debunked the claims that Jesus is God. So what I attempted to do to help the church to defend what we believe and to preserve it and also in, in a loving fashion and, and, and with a, a God-fearing approach when we're engaging progressive Christians or liberals or people who think they're Christian, but they're not, we want to speak the truth and love, Ephesians 4.15, right? We want to be seasoned with salt in what we speak, Colossians 4, six, and always be ready to give a defense. But we have to be able to like respond when you say, well, hasn't this always been, or you guys are the ones that it hijacked? So what I did was just to lay out the case to help people. Those six doctrines that I just laid out a minute ago that progressive Christians – deny most of them, but in the heart or the umbrella or the movement, the ideological movement of progressive Christianity denies those six doctrines of Jesus. So yes, to your point, I call them doctrine deniers. Progressive Christians deny belief systems. They reject it. And so what I wanted to do is I said, okay, but you have to make a case as to why you believe these things about Jesus and how you refute the Bible. So I deal with historical inquiries to say, okay, what is your argument? What is your foundational argument as to how you go about debunking biblical Christians based on historicity? The second thing I do is I, are, I look into their writings and their biblical explanations of how they look into the text, for example, the canonical gospels, mm-hmm. and how they interpret them to be read. The third thing I do is then I give out, I lay out the theological arguments. So then over time through church history, how they unpack the theology that comes from scripture. So I give the progressive point of view, and then I give the biblical point of view. And then the last one is at the end of the day, what are the spiritual results? So by looking at those four areas in each one of those doctrines, I'm showing where progressive Christians are coming from based on their own writings. I don't put words in their mouth. We investigated over 80, almost 100 progressive Christian books to make sure that we are articulating their position accurately. And then we, in a, in a I think, an apologetic way, refute those claims historically, biblically, theologically, and spiritually.
1: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Jason Jimenez. He's the founder and president of Stan Strong Ministries and author of a new book called Hijacking Jesus. You know, when we're talking about this, this is crucially important because if we don't understand that Jesus died for our sins and that he physically rose from the grave— then there's no victory there's no there is no difference ultimately at the end of the day between christianity and any other philosophy or religion that the, these things are the distinctiveness of christianity and that is uh the the evilness of changing what the word of god is what the uh what god has done and who god is
0: mm, that is so true i mean in our, in our chapter on atonement which was probably the most difficult and the most rigorous mm-hmm. Because you're right. You could say that Jesus – and again, progressive – most progressive Christians, the vast majority of them, do not deny that a person named Jesus Christ who was a Jewish rabbi in the first century existed, many of them – again, he was a sage. You have to believe that, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's – any any scholar, even atheists will believe Jesus existed. Except if you're Doctor Richard Carrier, yeah, except for right, a few, who, but but yeah, uh, a few,
0: but 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 that's still discarded, no, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. not true scholarship, and so, so they know that he existed, but where, like to your point, it's like, but the purpose of him, of him dying, because that's the other thing. Not only did he exist,ed and not only did he teach moralistically, right? Progressive Christians love citing the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. but again, they take a metaphorical approach, right, when it yeah. suits them, right, and so uh, they're 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 dismissing obviously the authority god you know in the flesh has in teaching that 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 sermon but what they will say is like he lived he preached he was a moral being he was the manifestation of god Uh, we don't we can't explain really the miracles then we call them more restoration he was restoring people but he did die yes he did publicly die but he didn't die for the for the atonement of our of our sins and so what I do is I go into that because you're right, Scott, if in fact Jesus lived, but he didn't die for our sins, then we are still dead in our trespasses and yeah. sins. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, as you and I know, Matthew five seventeen. and Jesus came as the second Adam, Romans five twelve. the first Adam sinned and blew it. As a, and as a result, the transmission of sin has been across the board ancestrally. But Jesus, God in the flesh, the incarnation, he came, lived a perfect life, and he sacrificed his life, yes, on the cross to atone for our sins. And that is at the heart of the gospel. And I do this by showing five key words that we see throughout the New Testament. It points back to the atonement, to Mm -hmm. reconciliation, substitution, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation and forgiveness. And at the heart of those five words we see the fulfillment of the lamb of God that we see in the Old Testament. That lamb that Jesus was at the Passover when he was doing the meal prior to him being betrayed and crucified and given up his life, he was that lamb. He was that propitiation. That's right. And so that's the heart of Christianity. And so yes, to deny that Um, is to deny Christ, his sacrifice, and Christianity.
1: If you'd like to join our conversation with uh, author Jason Jimenez, the number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Do people, when they deny that, in your experience, do they openly just deny that, or is it a process of what I'm saying is, in fact, denying it? I just haven't put that together yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: I, 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 let me, I, let me speak to that if I may, because yeah. you're so right on that. Because what, one thing I try to train Christians is like, because you're, you're dealing with some people who are just biblically literate, they put their faith and trust in Jesus, right? They believe in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son. They, they heard the verse Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you're saved. And I think that many people genuinely put their faith in Jesus As their savior to forgive them of their sins and to have everlasting life. But to your point, when you start like um, challenging them on, well, what do you mean by the atonement of Christ? And this is what's important to understand, because throughout church history, we have all of these amazing councils and all of these uh, creedal formulations that began to circulate even within the few uh, uh, central years after Christ ascended into heaven. Matter of fact, the one that we see that Paul refers to is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, one thing we never really had, uh, Scott, was a creed that articulated the atonement of Christ. What we have is going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So at the heart of the Christian faith, people believed is the person of Jesus. That's right. And what he did. And so a lot of people don't know how to articulate that does not mean that they're doctrine deniers does not mean that they're rejecting Jesus. I just don't think a lot of people theologically know how to properly understand
1: that. Yeah. I think it's something that we have to, as believers really understand that this is important. I think that we like to get into fringe subjects or, or internal doctrinal struggles, you know, that we really want to plant our flag and, you know, is Jesus going to come back pre post mid-trib or is. You know, are we Calvinists, are we not, or those kinds of things? I know people who can speak to those things so well, but if you ask them why did Jesus come the first time, they struggle to get that out. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the things, is that we have to really make sure we understand why he came, because everything is there. Can you stay one more segment with us? There's another question I want to ask you. I think that that, uh, when we come back, What is the difference? How do we discern between what is a a biblical justice versus a sort of a modern social justice? This word gets thrown out, you know. Uh, justice. And I think this is where a lot of people get confused and lost into what it means to be a Christian, because certainly we are to take care of the poor. We understand from James what pure religion looks like, and we are to care about justice, uh, Micah tells us. And Jesus is going to ask us, what did you do for the least of these? Those things are a big deal, and we look at all the suffering in the world today, and the church needs to respond but how do we make sure that we don't turn our faith into something that's works based ultimately, um, and lose the the truth of uh, grace and what that means for us? I want you to talk to that as soon as we come back on the Pastor Scott Show, um, if you would. And uh, absolutely, my guest is Jason Jimenez. He is the author of a brand new book. It comes out nationwide on September twelfth. Hijacking Jesus. How do people get to that book? By the way, if they want to buy it, will be on what's the best place for them to get it?
0: Yeah, I mean it's a it's available for pre order anywhere you, where you get your books. Like Amazon, so that's great. And any places yep, that Amazon like that. and Barnes and Noble and all those places. Salem Books.
1: All right, the book is Hijacking Jesus. We'll talk more about this with our guest Jason Jimenez in just a moment. You can also find the Pastor Scott Show live on KKLA right now. Just click on the Pastor Scott Show link, and you can watch us. You can find us on social media at Pastor Scott Show wherever you get your social media. Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. My guest is Jason Jimenez. He is the author of a brand new book, Hijacking Jesus, which you can pre-order now. Comes out September 12th. You can get it wherever books are sold, Amazon and the like. And uh, we've been talking about the importance of really understanding our faith, understanding who Jesus is, the atonement, and lots of things like that, that sometimes we think are less important. Jason, I want to ask you um, this question and the, the idea of hijacking Jesus. Sometimes people... Um, Miss what Jesus is really about by talking about things that Jesus was in favor of, but making that the whole deal instead of instead of just part of it and When I get into that i 'm asking you this question: how do we discern the difference between a biblical justice and what would be a uh, a social justice or a progressive? Uh, social justice of today that actually is not the teaching of Scripture? How do we know the difference? Because clearly we're supposed to take care of those in need and widows and orphans. How do we understand and discern the difference?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's we were talking in the last segment about atonement and where there is some confusion that people have. It's not that they reject the doctrine of atonement, but they don't fully understand the degree or the effects of it. And I think when we're having conversations with people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus— and let's say, Scott, they're like carnal Christians in First Corinthians 3 or in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 and following, that they're unskilled, that they're not able to distinguish between uh, right and wrong. And this is where a lot of people find themselves today, post-COVID, you know, critical race theory, wokeness, equity, equality, um, you know, Christian nationalism is wrong and all that kind of stuff. And and I agree wholeheartedly with a lot of what people are saying on the front end Mm-hmm. But what happens, though, is that people start taking social justice to mean God's domain, what God is doing, what God has decreed, what, you know, that sort of thing. And there's a danger in that. And so one thing that we have to be clear when we're talking about social justice versus biblical justice is that when you look at social justice, at the heart of it, God is not the authority.
1: Man is. In the, in, yeah, in at, a modern view of that, yeah in a modern view so so
0: there there needs to be again when we're talking about it, there has to be an absolute moral standard of justice and that is god in the social justice movement that that attaches itself to intersectionality that you define your identity based on uh your 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 race right your ethnicity your nationality uh, your gender your orientation. And, and again by the yeah by by the way social justice warriors you determine your own gender. You decide whatever your orientation is, right? No one else uh, does that for you. And it's, and, and it's incumbent upon people um, to relinquish their rights in order to support yours. They call that social justice. At the heart of social justice also is the oppressor versus the oppressed. So when you go down the line, you see a lot of things that run contrary to what we actually see in Scripture. At the heart of social justice is not original sin. Okay, it's mm. about punishment. Yeah. When you look at all of the people outside of crit- critical race uh, theory and you know a, a legal theory uh, from from different people like Derrick Bell, um, you you see that 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 a lot of the, the, the proponents today with white fragility, um, you know Robin D'Anthony and all these other things, Crenshaw, you see that there's a, there's this um, punishment on people they feel are the oppressors, right? And so now what they measure is about equity and equity is not about equal opportunity. It's about equal outcome. So they even say this in order to end discrimination, we need to advance discrimination in order to get to equal outcome. We have to rob from those who we feel. And again, that's the whole point. Like, who are the we, who the who are the people who determine what is true yeah, and who what is right that? and what is just yeah. exactly right. who decides that. And so this is the danger that we're, we're finding ourselves in at the heart of social justice. I, I know some people mean well, and I, I agree that you see some injustice that occurs and, and you want to do something about it. But the heart of social justice movement that, again, is built on the oppressor versus the oppressed is an actual fact, an unequal treatment of equity is actually an unequal treatment of equality. OK, when you look at biblical justice, again, God is on the throne. God is the creator. We are made in his image. We have fallen from that. And throughout the storyline from Genesis to Revelation, biblical justice, what we see is according to a standard in which who God is and his decrees. And when there's consequences, right or wrong, we see the effects of that. And we see how God has emplaced institutions to instill proper justice. The family with a husband and a wife. You see the church where you have elders and shepherds who are overseer of people's souls. Okay. And then, and ultimately you also see the government in in Romans 13. And that's actually a good thing. You don't see a Leviathan of a government. You see a self-governing institution that is run by people who honor and fear God. And they're executing the justice that needs to be appropriately uh, served. So that's distinguishing between social justice and biblical justice, and last thing I want to say, and I talk about this in the book in the chapter where progressive Christians make him look like he's a woke teacher, they want to focus on him doing um, like all these social justice issues or that he was a socialist, right? He was, he was about redistribu- uh, redistribution of wealth, when yeah. in fact you only see two occurrences of Jesus dealing with the, with the poor. At the heart of his mission, biblical justice people realize that Jesus was here to save our souls, the social justice warriors who make Jesus into an inclusive, woke teacher, they want to make it seem like it's all about redistribution of wealth, that Jesus was reforming Judaism. He was, he was trying to overthrow uh, Roman imperialism, right, and he was trying to feed the poor. Right. You don't see that in the Gospels, and I show that in Scripture.
1: You don't think Jesus was asking us to give our money to a central government so they can redistribute it? Just yeah, kidding. I know.
0: <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> well, I know, but that's funny because people make those statements. I'm like, right. okay, that's funny you say that. Where do you find that in Scripture? And there, it's not in there.
1: It's not there. You know, the interesting thing is it's, it's part of it, and I think what you said is right on the front side of it. We, you know, the church has failed in some ways to take care of people and to really reach, you know, to take care of widows and orphans. There's more that we can do. There's so much, I don't want to say we failed because we've actually done pretty well, including all of our faults for 2,000 years at the end of the day, but clearly in any culture, you can say the church can do more, you know, but when you get past the, that front side of it and you see the other side, when you see destruction on the, the backside, when you see, for example, here in, you know, in California, we have a huge homeless crisis and drug crisis. And a lot of it is driven by philosophies that say, well, people have a right to get high, so we're going to help them get high a little safer. And you can't figure out why it's. You know, we don't want to hold anybody to account. We don't want to ask anybody to recover or deal with their sin. We exclude Christian organizations or any religious people who want to help. That kind of social justice is not justice at all. It's it's upside yeah. down. You're actually making everybody a victim, except yeah, the people right. who say it, who empower themselves. At the yeah, end you're of the
0: right. Day. And so the thing is that you want to look at is you want to be able to look at. The institutions, like let's look at it. I mean, Black Lives Matter organization has failed and has gone bankrupt. I mean, if you have all this money and it was it was for the, hundreds the of millions good, of dollars, yeah, it, it was wasted. It was squandered. And we and again and, and there's no uh, government institutions or politicians who are looking into that on the left. That is, um, in you know you know wanting to seek justice when that whole movement was supposedly about justice. If I may, there's a great quote by Calvin Beisner and prosperity and poverty. And he he makes this point about injustice of equity. He says, the only way to arrive at equal fruits is to equalize behavior. And that requires robbing men of liberty and making them slaves. So in actual fact, social justice, when you are trying to uh, drive everyone to equal outcomes, you're actually equalizing people. Like, and this is Marxism, right, Scott? This is Marxism. And you're robbing them actually, as free creatures from their liberty, from their creativity, from their innovation, from their private property, and from their ability uh, to live their life uh, before God. And what you're doing now is you're making them slaves, because now the truth of equity is it doesn't promote fairness and equal opportunities or equal outcomes.
1: That's right. Um, it, it
0: actually, it yeah, it snubs individuality. And that's that that's not what we see in Scripture. It's
1: what it, it's ultimately the same thing. On the front end, you might say that uh, Marxism is you know positive, right? Well, we want everybody to take care of, we want workers to be treated fair, and all those things. But on the back end, in history, has shown this is tremendous destruction uh, right. and death and murder and the worst of the worst of humanity, actually. And yes. it's because it's a goal that number one you can't reach, and number two, it's not the reality of uh, of humanity of what we're called to do. And that's the reason to stay focused on Christ and what Christ has done uh, and be crucified in Christ, as Paul would say, right? That we can right. we can have a biblical justice where we care for the people that God has placed in our life and around us and directly care for them through the body of Christ. Uh, there's a whole other subject there, but uh, we only have a couple of minutes. Tell us uh, more about your book that comes out here, Hijacking Jesus, comes out September 12th. Uh, what do you hope people get out of that book?
0: yeah what I'm hoping actually what we've been talking about, Scott, is that people have fall more in love with Jesus, that they would actually recognize even if they are bona fide, authentic right uh Christians who are biblical Christians who hold fast the Word of God, but realize that they've neglected it, they're not really growing in it, uh, they've lost conviction, they're not in step with the Holy Spirit um, that they would actually, as you read this book, that they would fall more in love with Jesus and and realize the richness that we have. In church history, which is phenomenal. It's amazing. And not just, you know, arguments to refute the progressive Christian, but that they would understand the beauty of the doctrines that we hold. And again, at the center, the centerpiece is Jesus Christ and this, in in the citadel of Christianity is his resurrection. And so as people are motivated and convicted that they would take that book and that they would then start engaging uh, progressive Christians who are trying to hijack, uh, Jesus and also their church, so that they're able to be better prepared against that type of, of of of
1: hijacking. So that's my hope and prayer. That's right, and that's an important thing for us. And the the joy of knowing who Jesus is and what grace is is that's the that's the life, right? That's the great adventure that we're even called on uh, for this life. Jason Jimenez, thanks for joining me today on the Pastor Scott Show. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. And uh, you can uh, find Jason Jimenez on uh, what's your website, uh, Jason? You got your personal website. Yeah, the main website that people could check out is standstrongministries.org. All right. Standstrongministries.org. Check that out. And uh, you can get Jason's new book, Hijacking Jesus. It'll be available on September 12th, but you can pre-order it today. We'll link to all of that, too, on our social media. You can find us uh, anywhere at Pastor Scott Show. We will be back. Jason, thanks for joining us on the Pastor Scott Show. Thank you. God bless you. Great to have you today. God bless you. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening
0: to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. Always good to be with you. The number is 888-528-2557, 528 2557 we are talking this hour about... The, you know, the the church and how do we stay focused on Christ and the real Christ? You know, and something else that I think is critical to us is that we should not be afraid, afraid of experts, you know, who tell us you might hear, you know, somebody with a doctor in front of their name or a Ph.D. after their name or some group of letters, THD or whatever it might be. And uh who might get up and say, you know, uh the Jesus you were always taught about doesn't exist. Now maybe that's true, because maybe you were taught the wrong Jesus, right? So you gotta look at it. But I think, you know, when you have people who say, uh, you know, Jesus never believed he was the savior, or that people didn't believe, early Christians didn't believe that Jesus was the savior or that he was uh that he was god that's not true did you know that historically that that can be demonstrated as something that's not true that the early church the earliest of church believed that he died on the cross for your sins and that god raised him from the grave like that he came back out of the grave bodily resurrection you can demonstrate that historically so when people come out and they say no nah, that's not true they're they're not being honest with you and even though they might have PhD next to their name, or they went to some uh, prestigious school somewhere, you know, we live in a time where, you know, how do you trust the experts anyway? What does it even mean to be an expert? It's, you know, and experts can be wrong. Where is it that somebody with more degree than you are right all the time? They might be right about a lot that you don't know about, and I think that's reasonable. But you should realize that there are great scholars and great people out there in Christianity in our Christian faith who actually do refute those guys, and those books that come out you know usually around Easter or Christmas to tell you that Jesus wasn't really the savior or some other version of jesus there's there are two thousand years of scholarship to tell you that those those guys are wrong you know second Peter chapter two verses one through three it says this it says uh, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be teachers among you. uh, Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and, uh, uh, and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. You know, it is... Um, something that we have to be aware of, that even the scriptures tell us that we will have people who go to church who get it wrong. We will have people who go to church who get it wrong, and sometimes they're deliberate, but sometimes they are mistaken. You know, I've had, I had one situation where somebody showed up to church out of the blue, and they were coming for a while, and they were for some reason being very uh, popular, meaning that lots of people came around them, lots of people came, and you know, surrounded them, and they talked to people, they made relationships really fast, and I was so proud of my church because these guys had a different agenda. They were going to teach something completely separate. They were going to teach people something completely unbiblically, and people got it before I even got to them. And... Apparently they had been at the mall. These these people had been at the mall trying to convert people to some other way of Christianity and stuff. And, uh, you know, people in my church chased them out before I even got there. Uh, I was really proud about that. Um, But one of the things I think that sometimes is hard for us is that if we have a different interpretation of what the gospel is or what church is or uh, different things, then we might be deceived ourselves. We could be that person. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, that's an interesting question. It's a question we have to ask ourselves, is are we people who are the false prophets among the people? Now, I think most of the time the false teachers are, are people who you should be able to know because you have an agenda. That's the thing. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, all right? Uh, not just be wrong about things or be disagreeable about things, but things that will destroy the church, uh, and you know what kinds of things get into that the people who do, who bring in heresies about uh what the church ought to be like that's not biblical uh ideas that say you know there is uh a hierarchy of of good works and that if you do enough of these good works then you deserve to be say in the leadership of the church like you you add a qualification for leadership uh such as time in the church right i had somebody tell me one time that they felt like they should have more of a, that their opinion of something we were trying to decide as a church should weigh more because more than most people, because they'd been there 15 years or something. And I thought, and I asked, I said, so you think that your opinion uh, because you've been here 15 years or 17 years should weigh more than somebody who's been here 10 years or should weigh more than somebody who's been here 11, 12, 13, like, and that was a true belief of that person and I sort of tracked it. They kind of got it to another person where they, they'd heard that from somebody in the church, that the weight of your opinion uh, should matter more based upon the amount of time that you've been there. And sometimes that gets to be how much money you've given, you know, how, all kinds of other stuff. And that isn't true. You know, we have one church and the Holy Spirit works with us. definitely something true in... The idea that people have to grow and you should be really careful about empowering new believers into things or people that you don't know very well. There's time that matters. But after a period of time, you know, you have some better ideas. We ought to be really careful about that. The way you do that is you know your scriptures. You just know what, who Jesus is and why he says what he has to say and uh, those kinds of things. This is the Pastor Scott Show. The number is 888-528-2557, 888 528 Two five five, seven is the number, and uh, I see a couple of calls on there. Grab them as soon as uh, they are ready here. We just have a few more minutes. By the way, we have Pastor Jack Hibbs will be on here in just a second and uh, in the next segment, I should say, not just a segment he 'll be on here uh, just as we come back after the break here in a couple of moments uh, and one of the things we 're going to talk about is the fact that there 's really one church right, and that is something that is a big deal because I think one of the troubles we have sometimes in the church, and pastors do this, and church people do this is we think we may not say it we probably wouldn't say it i've heard some people say it but most people wouldn't say it sometimes we think the church is about us and we don't want to do stuff with other churches because they do it differently or because you know they're not us or we expect people to come and become us and and the us becomes this entity that isn't necessarily christian or isn't necessarily uh anything that's important the us becomes more important than the uh identity in christ and that's a that's a really big deal for us let me take a call here jim in azusa welcome to the pastor scott show yeah thanks uh i was on the air earlier on a different christian station KBright, and there's some guy on there steve Gregg. he doesn't believe in the tri- pre-tribulation rapture uh-huh. i've got a book by david Hawking, who's a very good pastor was he a guest he, he on got- another show somewhere yeah i was a guest on another show somewhere okay Okay, well, I think uh, Dr. Hawking's right about the pre-tribulation rapture, and yet this man doesn't accept it, and he's supposed to be a brother in the Lord. I mean, he's a smart guy, and he doesn't accept the pre-tribulation rapture. Well, let, me, let me ask you something, Jim. There's a lot of different views on that that are well within orthodoxy in the Bible. There's even a, there's a pre-tribulation, there's a post, there's a, there's a mid-tribulation, people think three and a half years. There's a lot of different views that people have on that that I would say are within orthodoxy. Maybe you're not aware of that, but uh, and I'm not saying I agree with uh, this other guy or anything, but you know, I would be careful. And this is kind of what we're talking about is that, you know, there are views that it's OK that we disagree about. You know, we'll we'll know eventually. Right. There's going to be a rapture or there won't. Right. Or it'll happen when it happens. And the people who are alive at that time are going to understand what's true. And if there's a pre-tribulation rapture, then the people who are around after that, they're going to understand that something's weird because a bunch of people are missing, right? There's There will be a, a day when that is made very true, very, very clear. But until then, people do have different views. Well, I'm a pre-tribulation rapture believer. Yeah. Have you studied the other views? You know. Yeah. You know, Jim, what I would do, and I'd recommend this for anybody on any subject— is to really go out there and study why scholars might have different uh, beliefs about things. There there are things that are critical to the faith, such as the bodily re- uh, resurrection of Christ. You have to believe that or you're not Christian, in my opinion. You, and I think most people would agree with that, do the, that. the idea I, that I Jesus, that. oh yeah, of course, you, I know that you do. What I'm saying is that there are certain things that you can disagree about and still be Christian, and there are certain things that you really can't. And the number of things. The, that, what about the Catholic Church? Who won't let their priests marry, and they get into all kinds of trouble with young kids. Yeah, well, that's a that's a huge problem. But if you think that pastors or priests should not get married, it doesn't mean you are. I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. But I would say that that specific belief—you could be a Protestant and believe that—that that doesn't make you not a Christian. It just probably makes you wrong. I only have a, a few seconds left. I, I appreciate your call, Jim. Here's the the seminary question, okay, that we ask is, how wrong do you have to be before you're not a Christian, right? There are differences between denominations, and even within denominations, there are differences of belief in one church or another. How wrong do you have to be before you're no longer a Christian? That's kind of where we you have to be careful, is that you can't, you know, there are disagreements we're going to have that at the end of the day, they don't change the nature of God or the Word of God or the purposes of God. But if you're wrong about one of those things, in particular the nature of salvation and of Christ, well, then you're not a Christian. you got to really get that correct. And I think if you have that correct, you're going to approach the Word of God with reverence. And you're going to approach the Word of God to say, you know, maybe God has a reason why there are Christians who disagree about these things that I don't understand, but I'm going to submit to what the Bible really says. That's another great conversation, but we are out of time. we got Pastor Jack Hibbs coming up at the end of the hour. You can watch us on kkla.com, follow us on social media at Pastor Scott Show, and you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just look for Pastor Scott Show. We'll be right back as the, what is today? Wednesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.